Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I too would like to welcome anyone that might be visiting with us. We appreciate you being here. Stick around after service. We'd like to, to meet you and, and talk with you for a few minutes. I spend more time at airports than I really care to. And here in the DFW area, we have two primary airports. I prefer to fly out of Love Field. It's a smaller airport. It's easy to get in. It's easier, easy to get through security. And uh, overall, it's just easier to navigate the airport. I know where things are. I know where the restaurants are. I know which way to go. I know the, the layout of all the gates. And if you're interested, you can get with me after service, and I'll tell you about a secret restroom you probably didn't know about. It's always clean, and it's always empty. Now, DFW Airport is a completely different story. It's hard to get in. You have to park 20 minutes away. It's hard to get through. The lines are longer. And I can't figure out where I'm going half the time. So the first thing I have to do when I get through security is I have to find these screens that tell me which way to go. And as little as that print is, I stare and I stare and I stare trying to figure out where do I need to go? You know, you can be at the mall, you can be at an airport, you can be at an entertainment park, any large place that requires a lot of walking. And if you're not familiar with the area, then you get lost. Or at least you get a little disoriented on where you're at. But when you find that information map, you get a sense of relief. And when I find one of these maps, I make a beeline to it. I like to know where I am. I've got to figure out where I am and which way I'm going. And what's the first thing you look for when you find this map? You look for that little red dot. That little red dot, that's powerful. You can point out other places of reference. You know you just came from this way because you can see the bakery. You, you, you remember that pizza place that you saw a few minutes ago down the way. You see the cross streets. You see the main attractions. You see the shops. You see the landmarks. And for you to figure out where you need to be going, the first thing you have to figure out is, where am I at? And once you determine that point, everything else, it just sort of starts making sense to you. You can determine which way you need to be going, or more importantly, which way you don't need to be going. Being lost is not fun. Especially if it's late, if you're driving, it's late, and you're lost, and you're running out of gas. You know, when Katrina and I, when we were 16 years old, we went to Six Flags. So I'm 16, so I had just started, I hadn't been driving very long. And we went to Six Flags, and I drove. And we left that night, and, and my mom had told me, when you leave, you're going to go east. Go find I-30 and go east. Okay, I got it. So we left, and I went east. But I wasn't on I-30. And to this day, I can't tell you where I was. Uh, we drove, and, and we were talking to each other like, where are we at? I don't know. Where are we at? I don't know. Where are we going? I don't know. And we drove 
we drove for a solid 30 or 45 minutes, and then I finally gave up, and we turned around, and we went all the way back to Six Flags, and then I found I-30 East, and I went home. Being lost is a horrible feeling. I've titled this lesson, Where Are You Going? Our opening text comes from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's important for us to understand that God has gifted us an opportunity of eternity in heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. No matter which path you're on right now, I think you'll all agree that that is our destination. That's where we want to be going. But we get so busy. We have all these distractions. We get busy with activities. We get busy with children. We get busy with careers. And sometimes we lose sight on where we're at and we lose sight on where we're going. We are all here. Everyone here today, you're on some type of spiritual path. You may be in a great place and you feel the comfort of having Jesus in your life. And I know that is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Or you may be a little lost. You know that something is missing and you're just trying to get through the day. You're just trying to get through tomorrow. Things might be good one day and things might be bad the next day. And you feel that your life, you feel like your relationship with Jesus is very inconsistent. You know that something is missing. Maybe you feel stagnant. Maybe you can't figure out what you're doing from day to day. Maybe you're just treading water. You're just going through the motions. You're just existing. You're here this morning, but you're not really here. You walk through the door so you could knock that off your checklist, but in reality, you're not moving forward. I want to talk about God's direction in our lives for a few minutes. Things that will help us stay on the right path. Let's start by looking at some of the last words that Jesus Christ shared with his disciples. We're going to start in Acts 1 this morning. And again, this is Jesus' last words with his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And we'll start in verse 6. Therefore they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after they had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid from their sight." The disciples, they stood, they stood there staring into the sky. They might have been pointing into the sky. They could have been concerned. They could have been worried. Maybe they were thinking, this is the end of our personal time with Jesus. The scripture says that they watched as he was taken up. They might have been thinking, now what? Now what do we do? What, what are we going to do now? Jesus was giving the disciples a sight map. 
as they stood around Jesus, he told them to start in Jerusalem. He had already told them what to do. He told them where to go, and they just stood there wondering what to do next. Suddenly, these men in white appeared and was standing before them. These men were angels. Angels are commonly represented in white clothes, as that represents an emblem of purity. So these disciples, they're standing there staring staring into the sky, and these men, these angels, they appear before them. And they reminded, they're reminded in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, the commission that these two angels are giving the disciples is don't just stand there. It's time to get started. Jesus told you what to do, and it starts in Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is full of directions on how to live a godly life. Just as these two angels told the disciples that it's time for them to get going to Jerusalem as Jesus had already instructed them, I'm telling you today that it's time to start listening to Jesus and get on the right path. Jesus laid it out for the disciples just like he's laid out all these instructions and directions for us. And the first point that I want to talk about this morning is that we need to be present. And I'm not talking about just being here at church. That's extremely important, and I encourage you to be here every time the doors are open. But let me tell you something. Being here every time the doors are open, attending every worship service, that will impact your life. That will have such a dramatic impact on your life that you can't even understand until you take that commitment. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your relationship with Jesus. If you don't attend regularly at all services, then I challenge you to make that commitment. Try it for a month. Try it. See what it does for you. So attendance is important. But that's not really what I'm referring to here. Be present. Because there's times when we're here, but we're not mentally here. And here's my example. I'm watching football, and Katrina walks into the room, and she starts talking to me. This is what I know is happening. It's a close game. I'm involved. The TV has all my attention. The time's winding down, and it's getting real excited. And there's a noise coming from behind me. I, I, I think it's my wife trying to communicate with me. For me to give Katrina my full attention, I've got to hit pause. At the very least, I've got to hit mute. We need to hit mute to the world when we walk through those doors. We need to be more than just a warm body on the pew. Our hearts and our minds, they need to be open. They need to be attentive. They need to be open to receiving the blessings of attendance. When we sing, sing loud and enjoy it. You're making music with the most beautiful instrument that God created. When we pray, we're in direct communication with God, pouring out our heart. We're confessing our faults. We're showing thankfulness for our life that we have. We're asking for guidance on the things that we are struggling with. Every aspect of the worship service is important. Bring yourself together and make sure you're present. 
mentally focused when you walk through those doors. Because there's times when we're in the pews, but we're not really present. There's times when we're in this building, but we're not mentally engaged. We're busy at the coffee machine. We're sitting on the back couches. We're here, but we're not engaged. In Acts 1, verse 6, the disciples ask Jesus about the future. They ask about the future of the kingdom, and Jesus comes back, and he challenges them to not let their minds wander. He says, you need to, don't focus on the future. You need to embrace the present. Find value in the task that you have right in front of you. Jesus needed them to find that site map and be focused on their current location and their current list of tasks. And rightfully so. So the disciples, they had questions and they wanted answers to their questions. And Jesus told them to focus on the things in front of you. He needed them to focus on the present. So for us, when we walk through those doors, be present. Be mentally present. Be ready to worship God. When you walk through the doors, think about that sight map and that red dot. You're here. You made it. So make the most of it. Enjoy it. Praise God. Worship God. Enjoy your brothers and sisters. The second point I want to discuss is that we need to clear the pathway. Sometimes we pull up our site map, and it's not really as clear as we would hope it would be. We know where we'd like to be, but we have no clue on how to get there. And we feel frustrated, and we feel lost. The struggles of this life, they've worn us out, and we're blurred. We question so many of our decisions, we wonder, how long will these hardships last? The best way for us to clear up that site map is to pray we have to develop a strong line of communication with God. At the end of 2014, I was laid off. First time, the only time I've ever been laid off. I was very fortunate, and I had another job lined up, and I was able to begin immediately. Very, very fortunate there. I went to work at Bank of America, and I refer to that time as the worst one and a half years of my life. At this point in my career, I had always heard of people who complained about their jobs a lot. People complained about their jobs. People complained about their boss. They complained about, I have to be here and I have to do this, and I can't believe they're asking me to do this. I didn't get it. I never got it. I, I had worked for two different companies, two different audit departments, and I loved the companies. I loved the people I was with. I grew. I learned. We worked well together. So when people complained about their jobs, I didn't understand why they were complaining. I had not ever experienced that. As an auditor working at the bank, I never understood what I was doing. It didn't make any sense to me. I was used to inventory and construction practices. I was used to widgets and counting things and evaluating processes and talking about operations. And then I'm at the bank and there's virtual products. I'm used to feeling things. I'm used to kicking dirt. And there's virtual products. Meaning money would just transfer from one account to the next. And I'm not talking about cash. I wish it was cash. I'd love to feel cash. It was just balances. Balances here. And then they would transfer over there. And then they would charge you fees for all this. Guys, I didn't get it. 
at all. I was completely out of my element and I was lost. I was miserable. I didn't like the work, I didn't like the drive, and I was unhappy. I would come home and Katrina, she could just see it all over me. I remember one day, I remember coming home after three weeks. I came home and I sat on the couch and I told Katrina, I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Every day on the way to work, I turned the radio off and I prayed. I was not comfortable and I was trying to support my family and I wasn't happy. And spending all day unhappy was not a place that I needed to be. I felt lost. I couldn't figure it out. And I felt lost, uncomfortable. After Jesus had ascended into heaven and the disciples, they gazed into the sky. I can't help but think that they felt lost. They felt confused. Jesus had told them what they were to focus on. But they just gazed into the sky. Let's look back at Acts 1, starting in the verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up in the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. After the disciples had journeyed into Jerusalem, what did they do? They prayed. Verse 14 says they joined together in one accord in prayer. That verse says that with prayer and supplication. Supplication is the act of asking or begging for something earnestly and humbly. Without question, prayer is the key to helping us develop a relationship with God. Prayer brings us peace, and it brings us clarity. When your sight map gets blurry, and you question where you're at, where you need to be, how you're going to get there, it's time you fall on your knees and strengthen your relationship with God. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. When you're trying to find that red dot, because you can't find it. When you're trying to find that red dot, go to God in prayer. The verses say, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Stop worrying. Turn it over to God. Stop being anxious, anxious about the path that you're on, and let's find that red dot. If you don't know where to ask, if you don't know where to begin, then it's time to, to ask God. Ask God to make it more visible. Make your wishes known to God, and he will provide clarity, allowing you to make those better choices and get on the right path. The third point that I want to discuss this morning is that we need to avoid the construction zones. There's so much construction in DFW right now, it's ridiculous. We can't get anywhere. We, we can't avoid it. You can't avoid the construction on the road. 
It's hard to maneuver around. There's wrecks everywhere. There's backups. There's delays. It's a problem. We're stuck in traffic. We get through one construction zone. We get to another construction zone. We get through one. We get to a wreck because of the construction zone. Increases our blood pressure. It causes us to miss appointments. Construction zones create chaos on our roadways. And I think we create a little chaos for ourselves sometimes too. We try to do so much with our time that all we do is end up getting stressed out. We try to do so much with our personal time and it makes it so difficult for us to break away from that and get to church on time. All of our lives can use a little more simplicity. I can't tell you how many times I I know you're going to agree with me. I expect you to come and and agree with me after service with what I'm about to tell you. How many times have you been working at home on a project and you are almost finished? You're right there. I haven't been frustrated. It's going really well. I haven't had to listen to my kids ask, are you done yet? Have you fixed it yet? And right at the very end, I think to myself, you know, if I tweak this a little bit, If I change this a little bit, it's going to look better. I'm going to like it better. And of course, I start the alternate because I've talked myself into it. I start the alternate and things don't go the way that I thought they would. And it took longer. It takes longer. Something goes wrong and it's an extra trip to Home Depot. Why couldn't I just be content with what I was doing? Why couldn't I be content with what I had planned? Why did I have to make it difficult? I think God's direction for us is simple. God has given us many instructions, and they're just not that difficult. But we're the ones, and we overthink things. We're the ones, and we create undue stress on our lives. We need to avoid the construction zones. If you're working, raising a family, involved with church work, and Girl Scouts, and volleyball, and soccer, and booster clubs, then you know what stress is. Instead of of stressing about what God wants you to be doing, how about we take a look at what we're actually doing? How about we find the things that maybe we could relieve some of that stress? You're earning a living and paying bills on time. That's important. You're investing in your children and their godly upbringing, and that's important. You're involved in the work of church, going to worship service and church activities, and that's important. Are you married? God wants you to be a supportive and loving spouse. Spouse, one who comes home to their family and instills godly values in your home. That's important. Do you have children? Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child the way he should go. And he shall not depart. But raising a Christian family is important. Do you have elderly parents helping and assisting them through the end of their life? That's important. All of these activities represents God's direction in your life. They're all meaningful. They're important. My point is, sometimes we're just too hard on ourselves. We're doing wonderful things. You're doing wonderful things. Sometimes we overbook ourselves. That's on us. We create the chaos in our lives. And in those times, we literally are going out of our way looking for construction zones. Be content with the path that God's put you on. We don't have to do more. More is not always the answer. 
But instead, we need to do the right things because doing the right things will always be better than doing more things. The fourth point that I want to discuss is that for us to have a clear path, we need to trust and have confidence in God. I turn your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The first four verses, they say, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that he may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. The Apostle Paul gives some great instructions on how to live with God, how to have a better relationship with God, how to have a better relationship with each other. If you want to have a better relationship with God, then follow the directions. We have a choice every day that we're going to follow directions or we're not going to follow God's directions. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul tells us to put confidence in the Lord. If you're going to be able to follow God's directions and instructions in your life, we have to be confident in those instructions and directions. We have to be confident in God. You know, I can be confident in my company that they're going to pay me on payday, but companies fail. I can be confident in our country's administrators and and that the president's going to do all the things that he's promised to do, but we know that they fail. Brothers and sisters, we can be confident in God. Because why? God does not lie. God cannot lie. Paul tells us that in Titus 1.1. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. I will admit that on occasion... I tend to overanalyze things. I believe this is called paralysis by analysis. I saw a shirt the other day that I almost bought for myself, and it said, here, wait a minute until I over, overanalyze this situation. That was a great shirt. Thought it would be perfect for me. I want to make the right decision, and I don't believe, well, I don't believe that there are many important decisions that should be made quickly. Because there's too many variables that need to be analyzed. We bought a car recently, and the salesman pulls out this. We're all done. You think you're done, and you think you're about to leave. And the salesman pulls out this whole stack of brochures for all these warranties. And I looked at him, and I said, look, just save your time. I said, I cannot make a decision today. You talk about a three, four, five thousand $5,000 decision, I am not going to make that decision right here standing in front of you. I will be happy to take your brochures home, and I'll take a look at them. When it comes to having faith and confidence in God, that's not something that I have to continually analyze. We can be confident in God's directions because he cannot lie. When your red dot, when your sight map, when it becomes blurred, stop putting confidence in other people. Turn to God and put your confidence in him. That is God's instructions for our life. We need to be confident in God's message. Open up your Bibles and have confidence in God's word. Back to 2 Thessalonians, verses 1 and 2, tells us to pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. God wants you to be confident, confident in his protection. 
Sometimes we might question the path we're on. When you pray for guidance and direction, be confident that God's going to protect you. Be confident that God desires the best for you. Verse 3 tells us that God is faithful. We need to be confident in God's faithfulness. God was with us yesterday, he's with us today, and he's going to be with us tomorrow. Be confident in that. Be confident that God is faithful to forgive us. Be confident that he's, he's willing to cleanse us. Be confident in that promise of eternal life. Without faithfulness, we will continue to find ourselves deviating from God's direction. We have to have faith. We have to be confident in God and his promises. We have to have faith and confidence in Jesus as we strive to live according to his teachings and his instructions. For Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Be confident in God's message. The last point I want to talk about this morning is that if you make a wrong turn, detour and get back on track. GPS and navigation systems, they've came a long way in 15 years. For the most part, if you're under the age of 30, you probably don't know what it means to get lost. And I mean, I mean really lost. You just don't know what that is. These phones that we carry in our pockets, they tell us where we're at all the time. They tell us where we're going. You want to know where one of your friends is? You can look them up on your phone. You want to know where one of your family members are? You can look them up on your phone. Why is Katrina not answering the phone? Where is she? I'll look her up. Oh, she, she's busy. That wasn't always the case for some of us older folks. When I worked for Metro PCS, we would go on construction audits. These were week-long audits uh, in various markets that we operated in or a new market that we were building out. So I would be in LA or New York City or Detroit or Philadelphia, places that, that I wasn't familiar with. And on Thursdays, is always a Thursday deal, and on Thursdays, we would rent multiple cars and divide it up among the team, and we would go visit about 20 to 30 construction sites each. So I had to, to get to each one of these construction sites where we were building cell towers. So I had to get from one to the next all day long. Well, we would stay up late the night before preparing for that Thursday's trip and that, would, that was going to put us driving all across the market, um, sometimes even the state. And so each of us that had rented a car, we would map, up, map out our driving using MapQuest maps. And that's how we were going to get from one location to the next. And we would have paper all over the car. I'd have a stack over, over here in the passenger seat, and I'd have to hold one up while I'm driving to figure out where I'm going. And then when I finally got there, I could throw it on the, on the floorboard and pick up the next one. Then portable navigation devices came out. And this small little device that you put on your dashboard, this thing was a game changer. 
this thing made everything so much easier. So we bought several for department, we could, and we, we, didn't, we used them to get from one location to the next. Those little portable navigation devices, similar, very similar to the phones or the navigation system that we have in our cars today. But there was one major difference with this little device. Today, when we make a wrong turn, the GPS automatically updates to a new route within seconds. But 15 years ago, that GPS unit was slow. And it would say, recalculating. And that screen would just flash, recalculating, recalculating. And the whole time it's flashing, recalculating, you're just hoping it will hurry up because you're coming up on the next exit, you're coming up to the next light, and you need to know where you're going. We're going to make some wrong turns in our Christian walk. And we're going to continue making some wrong turns in our Christian walk. The question is, how are you going to respond? 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul's referring to some of the trials that he and others were subjected to through their ministry and through their travels and spreading the gospel. Paul's confirming that at times, things were really hard. Things were hard. They faced a great deal of persecution, but he reminds them, it may have been hard, but we were not crushed. Paul points out that it's been difficult. And we've been through some difficult times. And as bad as they were, at no point were we in a situation where God left our side. And because of that, he knew that he could overcome those difficult situations. He goes on and says, we faced persecution, but we were not forsaken, meaning we were not deserted or ignored or left by God. He goes on to say that in times we were struck down, and as difficult as those times were, he reminded them we were not destroyed. Because we recovered, and it was those trials and difficult times that strengthened us and better prepared us for even greater struggles and trials. When we make those wrong turns in our Christian walk, how do we respond when we find ourselves in a situation or a place in our lives that honestly, we don't know how we got there. How did I get here? How are you going to respond? Paul says it may be hard times, but you're not crushed. Paul says you might get knocked down, but you haven't been destroyed. When you're praying to God to clear your pathways and help to clear up your sight map for you, and you know that your internal GPS system is saying, recalculating. Are you listening? Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The scripture could have very well been my opening scripture for today's study. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What a wonderful picture this scripture is painting for us. During the best of times, during the best of times, we can turn to our brothers and sisters and say, yes, things are wonderful. God's word is definitely a lamp unto my feet. He provides wonderful direction in my life. Praise God. That's easy for us to do during good times, isn't it? 
What about the periods that aren't going so well? What about the periods of your life that is flashing, recalculating, recalculating? What about those times when we're struggling a bit? Well, I also think this is a perfect verse. If you don't know where to start your prayer, then flip over to Psalms 119 and start here in the 105th verse. Lord, I know your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I know that I've got off track. I know that I've got off track and I've taken some detours that I shouldn't have. Lord, please light my pathway. Turn to Psalms 119. Use verse 105. In closing, I'll refer back to our opening scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. If you're on the wrong path and you're unsure of the directions that God has planned for you, then it's critical that you learn to trust God. We must trust God and we must have confidence in his directions. He will direct our path. Look at the path you're on. Look at the spiritual direction of your life. Don't overcomplicate things. But if you need to make changes... If you're going through a period of recalculation, then make changes. Turn to God and seek guidance through Scripture and through prayer. It's important that we trust in the Lord and we seek His will. It's very important in our life. If you're doing that, then He will show you the path that you should take. And be content with your path. Be content and embrace it. And in doing that, you're going to glorify God. That concludes my remarks this morning. I appreciate your attention. And we're going to offer the services of the church at this time. And if you're not happy with the path that you're on and you want to ask prayers for the church, then we can do that. We'd love to pray with you and for you. And if you haven't been baptized and you have a desire to be baptized this morning, then we can also do that at this time. We're going to stand and sing this invitation song. You can come down to the front row. Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my